Okay, Boker Tov. <clears throat> we continue <clears throat> going through the Sefer Das Hasviros. We're now on page Mem Zion. <clears throat> We're on the third essay that's dealing with the ten Sviros and how they fit into different sections of creation. <clears throat> I get this frog out of my throat. So we already discussed <clears throat> a number of issues in terms of space, time, and soul, where since all of creation is dependent on the ten spheros, the ten manifestations of Hashem's actions vis-a-vis the world, so they really are the fabric of all of creation. So we just have a couple more aspects to discuss about that. And then we're going to move into something called the partsufim, a little bit more complicated. So what else exists in the world? There are also elements, or we'll call types of metals. And if you look, there are, as we said, 10 spheros, 3 higher, 7 lower. So there are 7 types of metals in the world as explained by the Vilna Gon and of Lutzato, and they parallel the seven lower spheros. Again, we're just going to briefly go through them and not go into great detail. First, we deal with silver. Silver represents chesed. Uh, gold represents gvura. Copper represents tiferes. Tin represents... Netzach, which is uh, consistency. Lead represents hod. And mercury, which is, we'll call, it's called in Hebrew, living silver. Or like, that's what it's called. Kesef chai. Right? It's living silver because it's mercury. It's moving, so to speak. That's yesod. And iron is malchus. And just to give... Two examples of that, for example, kesef silver, which is much closer to the color white, and white represents chesed, is kindness, and gold, which is closer to red, represents gvura, control. And the Zohar says that we talk about building the, uh, the gifts of the truma for the mishkan, which is zahav. Kesef, Nechoshes, Tcheles, Argoman, Tolash, Shani, Vishesh, those represent the seven lower spheros. So again, you see that even when we're dealing with materials, there's different levels. And therefore, when you're talking about building the Mishkan, and whenever we're talking about Kesef, we're talking some aspect of uh, kindness. And whenever we're talking about gold, we're talking about some level of control. So, therefore, when we look at the Beis Hamikdash and the Mishkan, things like that, uh, there's quite a bit of gold. And the gold is dealing with areas of control uh, that we're not going to go into the details now. We're just showing you that the sevens are predominant. Mm -hmm. Okay? And now we move on to the next topic of the sevens. And what is that? That the colors... The primary colors, so to speak, parallel the spheros as well. And the Malvim says 
at, towards the end of Sefer Breshis. And uh, just like the light of the sun, it really is one in its essence. But once it goes through the atmosphere and you create uh, by hitting off a water particles off of the sun and this and that, you create the rainbow. And that's the seven primary colors of Roy G. Biv. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. Seven of them. Okay? So, therefore, uh, so that is reminiscent of the seven spheros. Now, right away, the Kabbalists tell us that, if, uh, that you have to be very careful and not make mistakes over here and that don't think it's as simple as it appears because remember the colors are a physical thing and it describes things in a physical way but something that's not really physical the spheros are not really physical so it's not really appropriate to think that uh, the color per se is the sphero not to make a mistake of that. Don't think, well, I look at this color. That is the sphero. That's going to be a very destructive thing. And they're going to be very careful. And again, the colors is just a muscle. It's an allegory to the activities that come through the spheros. And therefore, when you're looking at the colors, it's not that the color itself has that power, but it reminds you of that power that exists and therefore we'll use certain colors to remind us of those powers that exist. Very important. And for example, he just gives a one or two examples. When we talk about Gvura, the strength to win in a war. Gvura, so what color would be associated with that? Red. Red, Red. very good. Because usually the only way you win a war is by spilling a lot of blood, okay? Also, what else do you know about red? When a person's angry, he's burning angry red. That's obvious. So when we're dealing with uh, any type of judgment, the color red is, is something that reminds you of that, okay? And uh, certainly things that are red are going back from a source that creates red. Okay, the red doesn't do anything per se, but it's the source of that red, okay? And now, if we're looking about peace and mercy, what color would that be? Silver. Good guess. Gold? No. Not as good guess. What? Blue. Yeah. Okay, kind of keep trying. <laughs> okay, what happens when someone wants to surrender? Oh, white. White. Oh, white. white. Okay, ah. so white is people, and therefore think about it. White. Look, think of things that are white where there's mercy from. Okay, now we should all know the obvious one. What's the color of our beards? <laughs> well, it depends on what stage white. of life. Well, our I said our. Our age. An elderly person has a white beard. Why is it a white beard? Because elderly people don't go out to battle and fight. Okay? And therefore, you want to associate peace and kindness and that we, we refer to white. Even in the non-Jewish world, what happens if you want to surrender? You wave a white flag. Why are they waving a white flag? Okay? And that comes from a source. 
a source of kindness and peace and things like that. So it's, uh, it's, it's like the nature of the color will suggest this, okay? But it's not that white is peace. It's just reflective of that, okay? So that's, that's important. And um, what else does he tell us over here? That, uh, uh, fine. So therefore, if you want to do a certain activity and you want to be inspired to a certain activity, then you should wear clothes of that color. Not that those clothes have magic, not that the color has magic. But if let's say you have to make very difficult judgments on people, and, and that is required at the time, you're gonna wear red. That's why in the, even in the secular world, when you have a very difficult business meeting, and it's going to be very lots of negotiating got to be tough they call this the power tie, power tie. red is called a power tie so if you're going to have to engage in the holy aspect of kvura you're going to wear red we'll keep that in mind for you okay now let's think of another example the kohanim okay what's the main aspect what's the main mida of the spheros of kohanim Chesed, kindness, for sure, not a question. So now, what was the co color of their clothing? White, white, white. Mostly white. Yeah. All white. Well, yeah, the kohanim. Yeah. The regular kohanim were white to show peace and kindness and all that. And as a matter of fact, the kohen gadol, even though he had to wear other clothing as well when he did his avoda, because he has to incorporate so much more. But when it was Yom Kippur. Mm -hmm. He got rid of the garments that had some gold. Why? Because Morris says that the defense attorney, the prosecutor cannot be the defense attorney. When he wears gold, it will remind Hashem of the golden calf. And gold is, is like red, and that's judgment. And now he's coming to bring peace into the world. As we understand that when we look at white, why does white parallel kindness? Or similar, well, white is just clean and pure, but similarly, water, okay, is always referred to as kindness because what does water do? It gives life. Water of the four elements is the one of chesed, and therefore it is clear, which is the closest to white, okay? And the heavens are like an off-white color, which is like sky blue. It's like it's 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 it's, it's closer to, to white, so to speak, uh, it, from the the fact that it's in the atmosphere. On the other hand, as we say, that red is for kvura, and therefore we think about fire, which is red, has to kvura, and also very interesting, the earth. If you go down to the clay level of the earth, is red, okay, which is. Uh, receiving from Gvura. So you're very interesting how all the colors are suggesting things. Okay, what, what now... Is, what does uh, black suggest? Well, that's a Which good question. It, it's not a good color. Mm -hmm. Because uh, we always wear black. We always wear a black kippah and a black yeah, but that's, that's it's, standard... Uh, yeah, you know. because it really is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and you're supposed to, That encourages... No, encourages humility. Emptiness? Yeah. Oh. Like it's off of the other colors, let's say. Uh, 
indigo is already getting closer to black. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. But uh, <clears throat> black is a color that's not very lively. And when you wear black, that promotes somber. humility. Somber. Yeah. You know, humility for that. Now, very interesting, if you think about it, so we've got the way, at least the way he's describing it. I'm, I'm not exactly sure if this fits into scientifically, but he talks about Yorok, which is um, kind of greenish, yellowish, that he says that's Tiferes, which is the combination of Chesed and Gvura. So you take chesed and gvur, you take white and red, what do you get when you mix them? Green. Well, it's a yellowish green. It's not going to be green. So anyway, I'm not sure about the exact detail, but, but very interesting. He says, and from this we can understand now, when we want to uh, put little signs on our flatware to distinguish between fleishiks and milchiks. Okay, what's the color you put on the fleshik? Red. Red. Why? Because meat is sourced in gvura. Why? Because you have to kill the animal to provide the meat. So now, in order to shecht an animal, you got to be somewhere in the red zone. Right? It's interesting. Even even in sports. Hmm. You know, when you're within the 20-yard line to the goal, what is it called? Red zone. You're in the red zone. Now, why did the Goyim pick of any color? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's probably the red the zone. Color. I call it the blue zone. Yeah. No. Because really, what, what do you really... There are foot, the real thing in football is... Or when I was a kid, okay, and I was a big fan of the Cleveland Browns. So they said about the defense of the Cleveland Browns is that it bends but doesn't break. Which means between the 20 and the 20, they'll let another team can go. They'll give up the sixes, but when they get to the 20, then all of a sudden they get tough, and it's hard to punch through that touchdown. And what's that touchdown represent? It means you won. Mm -hmm. You killed the opposition. Also seven points. And also <laughs> seven points, six and one. Seven. Interesting idea of all that. Why did they give them seven points? There's all kinds of things. Why are there 18 holes in golf? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like think about it if you really think about a lot of these things it's incredible but so but but you see that red represents i killed i killed something so it's like you killed the defense by scoring the points and that's why they call it the red zone because when when, to, when you have a whole field to play it's hard to defend 80 yards because you got to be careful for the long pass short pass intermediate pass so it's easy for that position to move ahead because you have so many options. When you get within the 20 yard line, there's not a lot of options. You're not gonna throw an 80 yard pass now. So the defense can crunch in, so to speak. What does that all mean? It means it's much harder. The war is more difficult now. You understand? So there is a, sim even in, in the secular world, it all is coming out of all this. And therefore, our, our one second, our fleishiks is red. On the other hand, Milichiks, it's like a they they said a bluish a light a light blue, okay. Some of us will use um, uh, you could use white, yeah. would be chesed. Could use yellow, but it is a lighter color. So you're gonna say, well, that's just pragmatic. So say fine. So why didn't we make milichiks red and make fleishiks white? 
But anyway, it's all to remind us all these things that are happening over there. Yeah, question? Uh, Ivan is what? Uh, Ivan is what? Malkut, Malkut. Yeah, because iron, has, iron is very strong. Exactly. You can't bend iron. Iron is solid. You, you use it for uh, buildings and everything. And that's what Malchus has to be, very strong. Can't give in on anything. Have to win. You know? Equipment not made of That's the idea. That was a grid iron. Okay, anyway. Now, now how about Tcheles, which is uh, not a regular blue. It's like very light blue. Like uh, indigo, right? So what does that represent? Which sphera? Think about it. What, what do you call the purple raiments of majesty? Royalty. Royalty. Isn't that part of what royalty wears? Yeah. Indigo, yeah. a type of purple, right? Because that is what Malchus is. Now let's take it a step further. Okay, biblically, what's supposed to be one of the colors of... Blue. blue. Well, not exactly blue, but tailless. Tailless is more like an uh, like a yeah. indigo. Yeah. It's like an indigo. And therefore, why is it on your tzitzis? What does Gamor and Brach? Let's look at the simple shot. What's Gamor and Brach say? You look at that; it reminds you of what? Sea. Reminds you of the sea. That's what connected to the heavens. That reminds you of God's throne of glory. Now, the throne of glory is God's kingdom. So, therefore, you understand that we have to have something of a lighter, of a rich blue color to remind you of the Malchus of Hashem. And that's exactly what you're holding on to when you are saying the Kriya Shema, because the Kriya Shema is accepting the yoke of heaven. You're supposed to be holding on to the tzitzis. So the, all these things fit in really nicely. Okay? Now, I'm going to skip uh, this real mystical thing over here. And now let's take it one step further. Okay? How about the holidays? So that's dealing with time. The holidays parallel the seven spheros. Now there's a lot of, as a machlokas, you can spin it many ways. And that will depend on something much deeper that we haven't gotten to yet. But let's just look on the simple level. When we talk about Pesach, what's the sphero that matches Pesach? Now what happened on Pesach? Hashem gave the Jewish people freedom. He redeemed us. And did we really deserve to be freed? No. So that was pure chesed. It was complete chesed. We didn't really do much at all. And that also chesed parallels love. Okay? And that's what it says. And that's why which one of the patriarchs does it parallel? Holiday Pesach is Avram, because Avram is called, Hashem calls Avram, Avram Ohavai. Avram, my beloved. And Hashem showed his great love for us by taking us out of Mitzrayim in spite of the fact that we weren't worthy. Okay. Uh, very interestingly, it's uh, what we know, the story with Avram had the guests was on what his date in history? Passover. Yes, was the first, first night, was Erev Pesach. He had to guess Erev Pesach, and that's what it says, quickly make Lushi Vasei Ugos, make matzos. Now, what happened? Interestingly, what did Avram use 
matzahs for? What did he use cakes for? He used cakes to enable people to convert and understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He served people food. He gave them cakes. And they say, oh, thank you very much. He says, don't thank me. Thank the one who provided that. Who's that? That's God. Okay? So now we've got the matzahs, because what are matzahs called in mystical, in the bread of faith? Okay? So you see how all these ideas, and obviously Pesach is the holiday of Amuna, and we're eating the bread of faith, because all is connected now. You know, you, you're showing, it's all about chesed, it's all about love. Love is connection, and when you're connected, that means you really believe in, in who you have. So that's the sphere of chesed is very dominant. It means that, we, chesed means you're going to give to someone without any calculations, you don't have to be wor worth it, etc., etc. So therefore, that's an opportunity to grow in your meat of chesed. Now we go to shvuos. What's one is shvuos going to be? Shvu is going to be gvura, control. Why? Because when God gave the Torah at Sinai, you saw his might, you saw his power, thunder and lightning. The, the, the mountain was shaking. The mountain was on fire. The mountain was smoking. And Hashem said to Moshe, the purpose of giving the Torah at Sinai is in order that my fear will be upon your faces and you will not sin. That means they saw God's power. Now, first, first, God showed them how much he loves them. Took them out of Egypt. And not only that, but until Sinai, he gave them men, he gave them water, he gave them clouds of glory. He's just giving them love, 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 love. Right? But then, now we come to Sinai. Well, now, what's all that love for? All that love is because we got to realize you got to accept the Torah. Accepting the Torah is not a love fest. Because now we've got to change the world. we now got to have the world realize that God, and it's going to take a lot of gvura, guys. And that's okay. Since Hashem showed a lot of love, He can now show a lot of gvura. And really, it got to a point where what even happened, the Jews' souls expired and they died. From the overwhelming experience, there was so much gvura there, they couldn't take it, they died. They died twice. And God had to revive them. So clearly that is Gvura. Mm -hmm. All right? Now we go to Sukkis. Mm -hmm. That parallels Tiferes. Tiferes is the blend of the two. And that means we take the, we take the perfection of Pesach and Shvuas. And also the atonement that happens after Yom Kippur. You have to remember, why are we so happy on Sukkis? Because God has forgiven us. Now let's go to the very first circus. The Jews sinned with a golden calf. They're supposed to be destroyed. What saved us? God's Tiferes, which is a blend of kindness and control, which is mercy. He had mercy upon us. How do we know he had mercy upon us? Because Moshe was able to bring down the second Luchos, and right away Hashem said, go build a Mishkan. And, and at that time, the holiday of Sukkot, which is like a, a, a living with a Kodesh Baruch Hu, so it's all connected. And therefore, and that's and this is all said in the tour, which is a halachic work, and says that the three holidays parallel the three avos, and the avos parallel chesed, gvura, tiferes. So Avram is, according to this one system, Avram is Pesach, Yitzchak, some say is gvura, is shvuas, and some say Yaakov is tiferes, 
or you know, where's Yaakov's connection to Sukkot? When he left Esau, that confrontation, he moved on, and what was the name of the city he went to? It was called Sukkos. It was there for 18 months. So again, there's other ways that mystics learn the holidays, and we're just giving you one of them. Okay, now we have to understand, so now what's left? Well, we got, we got Netzach and Hod. Now what is Netzach and Hod? Netzach is consistency, and Hod is humility. And that we have the holidays of Hanukkah and Purim. Hanukkah is which one? Okay, that's going to be Netzach. Because why? The Jewish people were uh, able to defeat the Greeks. They defeated them in battle. And Netzach is, is victory, it's consistency. And to be consistent, the Jews were lacking consistency. They were assimilating to the Greek culture. And the Kohanim got up and showed that we have to have the Netzach. Uh, on the other hand, Purim is, is as opposite hold uh, towards humility, uh, which would, there's again, there's others who spin it other ways, but that, that's, and it's all gonna be explained throughout the book. When we get to every sphera, it's gonna connect the holidays. Okay, so now the question is, what about Yesod and Malchus? So the author says, we don't have a specific source for it, but it would appear, he says, and again, there's all kinds of other ways. You can say, well, I heard it in other places. different than that. Okay, there's different arguments about this, and it's relating to different uh, spheres of existence. It would appear that Shmini Atzeres is Yesod. Remember, Yesod is bonding. Now, we go through the whole cycle of the holidays. When do we come, as they say, to the Spitz? We come to Mamish. It's all about connecting to Hashem. So it's after all the holidays. After all the holidays, we went through the whole holidays, Pesach, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, this and that, and now we finally come to Shmini Atzeres, and what do we know about Shmini Atzeres? There's nothing at all unique about Shmini Atzeres. There's no iconic mitzvahs for Shmini Atzeres. And as the Medrash says, on Sukkot you bring 13 bulls, 12, but then we come to Shmini Hashem says, just bring one. Why? Because right till now, we invited the whole world, the Korbanis for the whole world. Now it's just me and you. We're going to bond together on Shemini Atzeris. So that's Yesod is the bonding that takes place. And that's the goal of everything. And then finally, Malchus. What is Malchus? It's perhaps Tishabov. Wow. Why? Because Tishabov is called a Moed. And we know that ultimately Tishabov is going to be the day the Mashiach is born, and Tishabov is going to be an amazing holiday. Tishabov, remember, according to the original plan, had the Jews not sinned, had the Jews not sinned, Pesach went out of Egypt, Shuas, they got the Torah, and then, then the 17th of Tammuz would have been like Rosh Hashanah, and then Tishabov would have been Yom Kippur. And then Sukkot would have been Ganeden. That was the original plan, but we messed up. So, but but it, but it'll come back. We'll fix up that plan, and when we fix up that plan. Then Tisha B'av will be the happiest of all days. Okay, there's all kinds of other understandings of this, but the point is that these form the fabric of all existence. So that's why we have to have a clear understanding of what this is. So the next section, which we're going to have to defer till uh, next week, talks about an idea called partzufim.
And this is, we're going to have to get into the relationship between partsufim and spheros. And we will, uh, partsufim literally means, partsuf means a face. And we will see that there are five partsufim. And the question is, how do they intersect with the spheros? So we'll just give you one little analogy to tell you where this is going. But basically, there's five partsufim, we'll say simply, five planes of existence. And within the five planes of existence, the ten spheros operate in them, and therefore the spheros will operate differently depending on the plane of existence that they are in. In other words, chesed, in one plane of existence, will manifest a certain way, while on another plane of existence, it's ridiculous to, it, uh, to, 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 to manifest itself in that form of existence. And we have to understand what are these different types of existence. Or to put it on a very simple level, okay, uh, your face consists of, as we said yesterday, also seven, two eyes, two nostrils, two ears, and a mouth. Okay, now, so let's think about this. I could look at those seven parts in two ways. I can look at them linearly, then you can say, okay, Sammy Polster has those seven things. Now I'm going to put them on a table. I'm going to put one eye over here, one eye over here, one nostril here, one nostril here, one ear here, one ear here, and one mouth over there. Would I, would I be incorrect in saying that that's what you have? Yes, incorrect. Well, no, I'm correct technically. That's no, what I you have. Okay. But now, all of a sudden, when I put it on a face... Yeah. All of a sudden, all seven of them have a different reality because they're now interacting in tandem, creating that face. So on that level of existence, that's what those seven objects accomplish. Now, what if I take things down to the level below that, which is the molecular level? Right? The molecules don't see. Your eye is a bunch of molecules. It doesn't see. It, each little molecule doesn't see. It's when it's an eye, it sees. So now we need a different set of rules for that. And how about we take it below that to the atomic level? And that's going to be a whole different reality. Now it's all the same. They're all at the same time. But I don't see the atoms on your face. But they're there. And then you got something called quarks. That's even well, and then you got something called strings. Now they're all there when I'm looking at you, but I can't see any of them because I don't have the right tools to see them. But if I took a real, uh, what do you call, it, atomic uh, microscope, and I put it there, I, would, I wouldn't see your face, I wouldn't see your eyes, I wouldn't see anything. Would I be wrong? No. So just like on your face, there's five different strata that are all their own planes of existence and work with different rules. We don't talk about atoms seeing. We don't wash atoms. I can wash your face, but I can't wash atoms per se. But doesn't mean to, But there are rules in the atomic world. And I can do things in the atomic world, let's just say genetic engineering. Now I can't take, however I do that, I can't take your face, start cutting up your face and say you're gonna be a person who could see better and all. You can't do that. But if I go down at the genetic level, I could do certain chesed 
with on that level that I can't do with your face. You follow what's going on over here. And therefore, just like your eyes manifesting. So when we go to different levels, this happens. So now that's just a muscle. So now we have to understand what are those five levels of reality, planes of existence. And there were the spheros who manifest themselves differently on that plane of existence. That is what Partsufim does. And then we have to talk about the different levels of soul. And then finally, we're ready to go into each sphera and picking apart what every sphere is about. Okay. Shukoyach, have a good Arab Shabbat.